to pitch. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of It's Wednesday, November 8th, 2017. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesco. And Chet, what it looked like was going to be a show to celebrate the great play of the Eagles and their route of the Denver Broncos and their 8-1 start going into the bye week took a sudden turn yesterday afternoon with a sudden passing of Philly's legend, Roy Halladay. Yeah, that it did, Bill. News that caught everyone off guard, of course. A guy who was a Philly for just four seasons, but one of those players that very quickly became a fan favorite due to his ability and the fact that he was such a fierce competitor. He, of course, lost his life in a small plane crash down in the Gulf of Mexico Tuesday, just 40 years old. Very sad news. Yeah, it sure is. And uh, some some news is just coming out uh on the local channels about, um, you know, possibly it looked like it might be operator error that he was flying a little lower than he was supposed to. So there's going to be a lot of investigation, but certainly uh, whatever the reason, it's not, it's not good. So we'll cover that. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to have former Eagles great Fred Barnett joining us shortly. Uh, but, Chet, let's talk about Roy Halladay. Yeah, you know, as you can imagine, anybody associated with the Phillies was very busy with the media last night and, and all of today. But you had a chance to talk to our good friend Leslie Goodell about Doc just last night. Yeah, I did. As you well know, Bill, Leslie covered the Phillies for Comcast Sportsnet during Doc's entire time in Philly. So I immediately thought of her and reached out to her. And here is that interview with Leslie Goodell. Joined here on Philly Press Box Radio by a reporter who had the good fortune of covering Roy Halladay his four seasons as a Philly, former Comcast Sportsnet Phil's reporter Leslie Goodell. Hey, Leslie, thanks for hopping on with us on short notice. You posted on social media after the tragic news Tuesday that it was an honor to cover Doc's time in Philly, and you said he was as classy as they come. And I'm pretty sure you're right. I never heard anybody say a bad word about Roy Halladay. He was just, everything about him was predictable. You just knew what Roy was setting out to do when he was at the ballpark and the way he operated, and you knew not to bother him. He had his routine, and he was so dedicated to his craft and improving his craft. And, you know, when he got there, he was such a great pitcher. It was such a great uh, opportunity to have him be part of the Phillies at a time when, you know, they were looking to continue on some really great seasons. And, you know, of course, he never got to the World Series, which I think was something that uh, was hardest for him to say, you know, to say goodbye or hang it up with the game because he hadn't gotten there. But he had so much to be proud of, and he—I've never seen somebody work harder. I mean, you know, Chase Utley, of course, known for his work ethic as well, but Roy Halladay—he was a different breed and truly a one-of-a-kind individual. Yeah, Steve Carlton was before your time in covering the Phillies, of course, but it's tough to think of any other pitchers who were more focused come game day than Roy Halladay. Yeah, and I don't want to, you know, look, nobody was super close to Roy that was covering the team. I mean, I think people were friendly with him, 
you know, like I said, he had his routine. He went in and did his thing. I remember him talking, uh, you know, the year he was injured, saying he wasn't hurt. And I think he really just wanted to believe he wasn't, but knew something was off. And uh, you saw the frustration in a guy who expected perfection from himself every time he went out. And, you know, I just, there's, there was something about him that you knew to get out of his way and you knew that he had a job to do and you could respect it because of the way he went about it. He had a terrific run in Toronto, of course, but how great were Roy's first two seasons, 2010 and 11, with the Phillies? Just to watch him. I mean, you know, you talk about guys who are stoppers when you're when you're struggling or, you know, just that are going to go out there and, you know, give you a good game. I mean, you just knew he was not going to just give you a good game. He was going to dominate. He was a show. He was a show to watch, and it all unfolded. And I have a great story from his postseason no-hitter, which was very close to being a perfect game. It was that one walk to Jay Bruce, I yep. believe it was, wasn't yep. it? I think so. um, Scott Rowland told me this story a couple days later. Scott said he walked in the clubhouse and he saw John Hirschbeck up there as the home plate umpire and said, oh, great, we're screwed. <laughs> because pitchers like it when he's behind the plate, right? So he knew that facing Roy was going to be hard enough and then to have Hirschbeck. And at one point, people may remember, Scott struck out and then walked around the back of John Hirschbeck and said something to him before walking back to the visitor's dugout. So I asked Scott, you know, what did you say? And he said, I, walked, I just walked behind John and said, come on, John, give us a chance. And two batters later, I believe it was, Jay Bruce walked oh, on wow. a very close pitch. And funny enough, I've always thought it would be a really cool book to go through his perfect game and no-hitter with him, with Roy Halladay, and just chronicle those two days. Because I remember after the game, Dallas Green talking about being at Don Larson's perfect game in the playoffs when he was young. And so here was Dallas Green at both of those games. And the perspective from Scott Rowland to Dallas Green to all the other people who saw these games unfold and the greatness that we saw, I just thought would have been so awesome. And it really needed to come from, so you know, it needed to be based on Roy's experience and then told from the other perspectives. And I just thought today, gosh, you know, that idea can never come to fruition now. Yeah, 67 complete games in his career, 20 shutouts. He was one of those old-school guys who wanted to go eight or, better yet, nine innings whenever possible. Yeah, that seems like an eternity ago that we had guys who were doing that on a consistent Mm. basis, for sure. The game has changed quite a bit in that sense. He was just, I mean, you know, look, there were so many names for him, but, you know, Roy the Robot, he was a machine. He really was a machine. And, you know, I actually uh, am... I actually commonly refer to a technique that he taught young kids that I thought was great for little leaguers. He would tell kids to, uh, as tall as they were, to mark off a spot in front of them that far out. So if you're five foot two, you mark five feet two inches from the rubber, and that's your landing spot. And I started doing it with my son, and I've done it with several others of his friends who, you know, they, they, they then start thinking about their legs instead of their arm when they're little. And this is something Roy Halliday would teach his kids. He was, very, he was very dedicated to the youth of the sport, of course, having two boys that played, I'm sure, played a large part of that. But, you know, he could make a difference for young players. There was so much left to give, and that's what's so sad about this whole thing. There was so much left for him to contribute to this game, a game he just loved so much. And 
it really was like a punch in the gut when I heard about it. And he wasn't my best friend, and I didn't keep in touch with Roy Halliday. But, you know, you didn't have to know him. I don't think you even had to know him to feel this one uh, really hurt. Yeah, a real tragedy for sure. Hey, Leslie, just one other question while we have you on the line. A somewhat controversial choice for the Phillies' new manager. Any thoughts about Gabe Kapler and how he might do as the Phil Skipper? You know, I'm kind of of the mindset that, you know, I hear people say all the time, oh, journalism's changing, or, oh, back in the day. And, you know, I'm not one to get caught up in the how it used to be. The, clearly things are changing in baseball. And this is a big risk. And if it works, Matt Klintak's going to look brilliant. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, they're getting somebody new. So I think it's uh, a very interesting and bold choice and I think that um, with the young players that are coming up now and the fact that Kapler was apparently quite impressive in the interview process all you can do now is embrace it and go along for the ride right yep hope for the best all right Leslie Goodell yep. thanks very much for talking with me about the unfortunate news about Roy Halladay we greatly do appreciate it thank you thanks for having me Ted Chet, as always good stuff from Leslie uh She's always got her finger right on the pulse. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she covered the team, so uh, she knew Roy a little bit. And, you know, I was thinking it's been a tough year for the Phillies family. While I was uh, down in Clearwater last March, the news broke that 1980 World Series manager Dallas Green had passed away two months later. Then it was Hall of Fame pitcher Jim Bunning. In early August, of course, the leader of the 93 Macho Row Phils, popular catcher Darren Dalton, succumbed to brain cancer. And now this most shocking loss, Roy Halladay, in the prime of his post-baseball life, gone at the age of 40. So a difficult year for the Phillies family, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, uh, as you could expect, I guess, to some degree, all the the tweets and things that came from teammates and players in the organization, and, and the same with the Toronto organization, but there was so much that came from outside of the teams that he played for. And, you know, I saw a tweet, I believe it came from Dan Heron. I, I was trying to find it again. I couldn't find it, but I thought it was was really great. And it said... Roy's uh, something like your favorite player. Roy was your favorite player's favorite player. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was like, actually somebody else. I'm going to mention that in my parting shot. Uh, to be uh, honest, so okay. uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of great tweets. And uh, we're going to talk a lot more about Roy Halladay later on. But we have another guest, I think, waiting to join us right now. All right. Well, hey, let's pick up the beat uh, or beat down if you want to talk about it. While we're talking Eagles. And welcome back, all-pro wide receiver, Arkansas Fred Barnett, to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable. Welcome back, Fred. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. How you guys doing? Doing awesome. great. Cool. Hey, Fred, this is Chet. Cool. This is Chet, and then you hey, got Chet. Bill also. Thanks for joining us once again. As you know, Fred, we've been talking about the sudden loss of Roy Halladay, and I realized today that yes. you went through something equally shocking, equally tragic back in the summer of 1992 in between your second and third seasons with the Birds when you learned that your teammate Jerome Brown had died in a car accident down in Florida. How do you deal with losing a teammate, a friend, at such a young age? It's, it's hard, to tell you the truth. Um, it, it, you know, it's an unbelievable experience. I mean, you hear about it every day. You know, you turn on the news and, and, and you see a relative of somebody, someone who's, you know, passed away or something tragic happened. And when it happens close to you, you know, as it did with Jerome Brown and even, you know, some of some of my um, 
you know, older relatives, you know, a grandmother a few years ago, a grandfather. It's just to some degree surreal in knowing that, you know, you, you're not going to experience the, the presence of this individual again. But, you know, the joy behind it is one thing that you always have is the memories of that person. And, you know, that, that that's one thing that's, that's long-lasting. And, you know, such an unfortunate situation. I mean, a young man, I mean, I'm, I'm calling him a young man, <laughs> you know, 40 years old. Um, yeah. To you know, die in a, tra- a tragic situation like that, I, it, it's it, and I, I condole to his family, and I feel so you know saddened because you know leaving a wife and two kids, and you know what a great career he had, you know a great person, you know a great citizen of, of, of this country, you know a, a great player of of uh, Major League Baseball, you know would, would truly miss him. Yes, indeed. All right, let's shift gears and talk about something a whole lot more pleasant right now. Uh, as a former Eagle, how much are you enjoying watching the 2017 Birds? Oh, it's it's, it's very enjoyable. It's very enjoyable, and I, and I and I'm let me tell you what really makes it enjoyable. As a former player, we have the ability to go down to the stadiums and to the practice, and we've gone down a few times, and the the organization have invited us down. And this year, out of all the years that I've been just kind of hanging around the team and just, you know, watching the practices, for some reason, guys, this year the players are much more personable. And, I mean, I have, I have, I have players right now that are texting me, that have texted me, you know, asking me how, how am I doing and inviting me to, to a, a, an event that they're having. And I'm, I'm like, I can't believe these guys, you know, they're, they're really genuine about wanting to connect with the former players and just being so genuine with each other. It's, it's amazing. I, I did a, uh, I did an event with Brandon Graham uh, a couple of weeks ago. And when we, when, when I played, you know, there were, you know, these little clusters of groups of friends or what have you. And Brandon said, I, you know, I, I, I have to hurry up as I'm, as, as we were both leaving the event. And he was going to a defensive dinner. All the defensive players went out to dinner to this particular restaurant in the city. And I thought that was unbelievable. And just, just the fact that the way they are as people, as, 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 as uh, players with each other, it, it really, it's it really nice to see them playing as well as they're playing and being the number one team in the league right now. Yep. Yeah. And Fred, do you have to, turn that right back to Doug Peterson and what he's building there? I mean, does it go all the way back to the coach that uh, he's built a camaraderie, or do you think that comes more from the players or something that the coach helps develop? I think it's something that the coach helps develop, and as a player, I think you either buy in or you opt out, you know, and it's okay, of course, as, if you opt out, but, you know, when, when we're at the practices and you have guys, you know, coming up to you, asking you when you played, and, oh, I remember you, you know, it's great to meet you, and they see you the next time and they call you by your name. You know, I, I think that's them really opting in, you know, uh, uh, buying in rather to uh, to who Doug is as, as a coach and who he was as a player. And and I, I, think, I think it's phenomenal what they're doing. Uh, if, I, don't, I don't think any team right now in the league really wants to play, play the Eagles right now. You know, especially if they go to the Super Bowl, no, no, nobody would want to play these guys because they have too many weapons. I think they're calling the right plays. The defense is solid. The offense is just 
to, to in a good way unpredictable. You don't know who's going to show up or, or who's going to be in the limelight on, on any given game. So it's 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 just amazing what they're doing. And of course, you know we're all optimistic and hoping they keep it up and go to the Super Bowl. Well, Fred, you know since you played, the, the league has definitely turned more more pass happy. Uh, how would Fred Barnett like being in this offense with Carson Wentz and uh, the way he could throw the ball around and all the other weapons? Uh, Fred Fred might be a very very wealthy man. I tell you what, I I'll, I have to I have to put tape over my mouth to keep myself from bragging every week <laughs> because the way the way that the way that the way that ball's in the air, man, is is, is great. Of course, it's great to see for me and and you know the game has changed a lot. Uh, and and I think the coaching staff has done a great job. And let me also say this: the organization, you know, when we had this hiccup with with Chip Kelly, the fact that they could be a year or two away and be where they are right now, and just rebound where they are, and get to where they are right now, to some degree, hit the reset button and have everything back intact, you know, to to be a, a possible championship team. I, is I think is, is phenomenal and just I have to give a lot of credit to the organization for making the moves that they made uh, to get Carson Wentz here, you know, to make that move and continuing to make that move with, you know, the running back, uh, Jay from uh, from Miami. I mean, his first game here, he, he goes for a touchdown and, and it's just, you know, it's just limitless with what, what they can do, what they can achieve from our offense standpoint. And, the defense being as, as as skillful as they are and as hungry as they are and just just watching them just literally all over the all over the field look like sometimes it's 12 13 guys on the field the way they tackle gang tackles unbelievable so it's it's great to see them uh you know be successful and uh you know i i think you know uh, they it's going to continue well fred as good as the offense has been and as great as carson wentz has played here in the second season it seems to me that there's still even more room for an improvement in terms of the chemistry with Carson and the new receivers, Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith. Is that something that can sometimes take more than one season? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, uh, let, me t- let me just say this for the record. You're never perfect. So hmm. you can, uh, if you're never perfect, you can always get better. So the fact that, you know, this is the second season, this is first year with, with Jeffrey and, you know, uh, um, Aguilar's come around. I, I think that, you know, this this year is definitely a year to build on. You know, if these guys go to the Super Bowl this year, win the Super Bowl this year, it's, they, they become that much better next year. You know, even if they go to the playoffs this year and go far and deep into the playoffs, they become that much better. So so you can never you, – you, can, you can't be perfect with this game, but you can always get better. And, and even when, even when things go right, there's still something wrong that you could that you can make it better. So, so there's always room for improvement. A lot of a lot of people ask me about Carson. They talk about how good he is, and I say what's interesting about him is that I don't I, I don't see him doing it right now, but I know it's going to come. Is when he starts to slow the game down himself. And of course, he's a young player, but I can just kind of see him just kind of being anxious and just see this you know this this have this have this uh, wide-eyed look. But once I think he, he he's able to slow the game down, he's able to, to, to some degree coach himself and he has that calm look, you know, like a Brady, like a Rogers. It's like it's like they're playing a game of pool. It's not they're not even sweating and the next thing you know they're marching down the field. 
So I think I think when he when he becomes more and more comfortable, he's going to be a dangerous guy if he if they keep all of their skilled guys intact. It's going to be fun. Hey, the first time you were on with us, Fred, back in 2014, you gave us that great quote about your early 90s boss when you said, Rich Kotai was not a head coach. He was a position coach, and he knows it. I love that. Uh, There were a whole (laughs) lot of people who thought, right up until September, in fact, that Doug Peterson maybe wasn't much of a head coach. Is he proving all the critics wrong now? I think so. I think so. And and I think he – I think – I can say from from what I've seen and how he reacts to the players and how the players react to him, uh, he is a player's coach. Uh, of course, he's an he's an offensive coach. It, it, he's almost like a Buddy Ryan on the offensive side. He and of course, Buddy's just just a little more on on, on a flamboyant side in terms of you know words and 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 what he think about uh, certain people, <laughs> but but. I see the players reacting to him as as a as a player's coach, and it, of course it's great to see. And, it, and, and the atmosphere is much more is very very comfortable with him. But at the same time, too, the bar you know the water the water is right there at everyone's noses. So nobody's necessarily comfortable, but everybody's really enjoying you know the success and the, even the accountability that, that, he, that he puts in front of everybody. And everybody's taking responsibility and doing exactly what they need to do. And, of course, first and foremost, this team is talented, you know, because it, 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 it can be about the coach, but at the same time, too, you have to have talent to work with. And I've never seen a very successful coach, successful good coach, uh, turn something positive into and. In, in, into uh, uh, with a team uh, that have people with no guys with no talent, and first and foremost, as I mentioned, this 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 team is very very talented, and and they have a lot of potential as well. And they, and there's a there's a very big upside with everybody because a lot of guys are very young. And, you know, like a Wentz is young. I mean, the receivers are young. Jefferson's Jefferson's not that old. Uh, and and when you can get a group of guys like this and start to build a nucleus, have them trust you as a coach. And first and foremost, as I mentioned, they got the talent to go out and execute and make this thing happen. It, it, it could only get better. Fred, you just mentioned something a, a minute ago that I was going to follow up and, and ask you, and I wanted to, about keeping the skilled players together. And, you yeah. know, you have uh, Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith and LeGarrette Blount all on one-year deals. Um do you keep those guys because of camaraderie uh, or working with the quarterback or their leadership, or do you have to move on, you know, keep some, get rid of some, and move on and try to get better? What, what's the value split there? I think there's a lot of factors that are involved, and it's only from, from my standpoint, from your standpoint, it's us kind of having an opinion or guessing what they should or shouldn't do because, you know, unfortunately I think, you know, uh, uh, their salaries play a part and, you know, you can't have to, you can't, you, you can't overload the boat or else it will sink. You know, from a financial standpoint, you have to figure out who you can keep and who you can't keep. But from a standpoint of, of camaraderie, you know, of course you would want to keep those guys, especially if they're adding to, adding to the, the, the positive outcome, you know, of your team, adding to the success of your team. And some guys, 
you may see some guys you say, oh, his numbers aren't there. But this guy, this guy is, is, is the type of guy who, who would get in the face of guys and, and hold them accountable. And, and that, that could be his role. So you never know really what guys, what, what role guys are playing in the locker room, which is very, very important. Uh, you know, we, we can always, you know, look up the stats and see who's doing what. But from a standpoint of, of building a nucleus, certain guys play certain parts. So, and, and I look, I look at like a Tory Smith, Tory, I think to some degree, Tory hasn't done what, you know, everybody expected him to do. And I think Tory hasn't done what he expected to do at this point. So, I mean, who who knows what the relationship is like there, but who knows what he brings to the who knows what he brings to this team, you know? And I mean, I I think as a matter of fact, a, a buddy of mine was talking about it today, and I I, th- I think he's he's a hidden weapon. I think once we get to the playoffs, you, you're going to see him raise his head because he's capable of making some big plays. But it's 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 it becomes to some degree a chess match for you because you have the financial piece involved. And you know you have the personalities involved, and and as a as a uh, as a general manager, you, you have to kind of put the puzzle together. That's 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 best for the team. All right, Fred, forgive me for reminding you of this, but in 1994, the Eagles started seven and two, and then lost their final seven games of the season. There's no danger of the current Eagles team going into a tailspin like that, is there? Well, it's always danger, but at the same time, too, you you, you have to be you have to be realistic about what you see, you know, and what we see right now. And and, and I was also talking to my buddy, and I, I, can't, I can't remember. I don't know. Can you guys recall when when the Eagles ever were the number one ranked team at any point in the season? No. Maybe the T.O. year. No, no, I can't. I can't. I'm sorry? The T.O. year, maybe 2004, when they were, what, 7-0 and to start? Six and zero. Oh. Were they okay? I, I I couldn't remember that, but but at the same time too, I, I when we were seven and one, I I thought we were seven and one, and then we lost one after that. But, I think it was uh, seven and I think it was seven and two is when the losing streak started. And um, at that point, you could compare us to a number. Of, you could have compared us to a number of teams, and you would say, ah, but the Eagles are not as good as this team. Like, not as good as that, that team. You know, I I I don't want to call it luck, but we went out and we played our butts off. And we and we you know had a, had a good record and it just started to down you know go downhill from there. But I, I based on what I see with this team, I, I I don't see them you know sliding sliding any. And uh, you know I don't know what their record's going to end up being, but that's that's something that you know of course you know as as a as an organization Doug Pearson is going to have to bring into perspective because once you get to a point where you know you're going to the playoffs. You know, how do you keep your players? You want you want to make sure you keep your players healthy. You don't want to be, you know, uh, 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 fourteen and 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 two, and you know, play your guys. You know, the, the last two games, where it's where it's you know, you, you don't want to put them in harm's way. So I, I I just don't I don't I don't see them having a fall like we had uh, in '92. I was it '92 '93. I, I just can't see it because I, I just I just you know maybe lose one or two I, I don't know but 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 not but not you know a few in a row because these guys they they I think they're very talented and at the same time too I think that there's there's some of course everybody else has a has a professional football team but the way everybody else is playing right now I think really is a 
you know, puts puts the Eagles in a good position to, you know, first of all get to the playoffs and, and possibly, you know, go deep in the playoffs and get to get to the championship game. Yeah, it was 94, Fred, uh, Richie Kotite's final season, by the way. Uh, you mentioned those words that I'm afraid to say, Fred, Super Bowl, but there it is. Uh, how important is securing home field advantage for the NFC postseason to get to the big game? Oh, it's very, it's very important. I mean, you, you, you're, you're playing at home, and, and, and who, who, wouldn't want to, who wouldn't want to play at home? I mean, rather, rather than, you know, playing an away game, you, you, you – uh, I see. I see this team as 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 uh, you know being in that position. Of course, they have to they have to continue to win and put themselves in that position. But but I think it's very important. I think it's a plus. It would be a plus uh, for the team. Um, this fan base here is just unbelievable. You know, they kind of like the twelfth man on the field. You know, on the offense and defense. And you know, it 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 would be very important um, to 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 have home field advantage. For sure. Well, Fred, before we wrap it up, since we're running out of time, do you have a uh, a prediction to make here at the end of the year? As we're eight and one, seven more to go. What What do you think? Well, you know, I, I asked I asked some people about this the other day when I did I did this event, and I asked them, I said, "What is it that you want from the Eagles?" And just just be honest. You know what is it that you want? Do you want do you want a playoff team? Do you want to go deep in the playoff? Do you want just a, you know a, 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 an outstanding season where you know you have a great record? You beat Dallas twice. You know some some one guy said just beat Dallas twice. That's all I care. I don't even care about the Super Bowl. <laughs> but but you know I I I try not to predict. But at the same time too, one thing that I that that um, that I think is important that is that number one as a fan, and that's what I am now uh, with the Eagles, is that I'm very optimistic about what I see. And, you know, I'm not the type of person who, even if I know I'm going to beat you, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to shake your hand when it's over. You know, so so I, I, I put it this way. Uh, I think the Eagles are going to be shaking hands. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, they're going to have a very successful season. I I, I will say that. So I, I like I'm, it. I'm, I'm very optimistic about the talent that they have. I'm very optimistic about, you know, the organization overall and more so the coaches to uh, uh, put the guys in the position to, to, to execute as well as they can. Very good. Hey, Fred, one quick thing, one quick thing. Uh, Fred sure. Hugo, another Fred, uh, mentioned to me about an hour ago, He's the guy who comes on and gives our fantasy football tips. He'll be on in about 10 minutes or so. He said that you were absolutely his favorite Eagle as a young kid in the 1990s. So there, you got another fan. Oh, cool. I got another one. I'll, <laughs> I'll, put, that, I'll put that notch on my wall. Appreciate it. There you Appreciate go, it, Fred. All right, Fred. Well, hey, thanks for joining us again. And uh, Pleasure. we appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to do it. No problem, guys. Have a good one. All right. Go Thank Birds. Thank you. Go Birds. All right, a brief time out right now to let me tell you about my favorite bar and restaurant, the Irish Rover Station House. Terrific atmosphere, spacious dining area, and always 24 beers on tap. From burgers and wings to full dinners, 
you won't be disappointed. And on Wednesday the 15th, the rover is holding a campout party. Yeah, bring in your non-perishable food items during happy hour to be donated to Preston and Steve's Camp Out for Hunger. And you'll get a 50-cent Victory Homegrown Draft. The Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. Hey, Chet, back to Roy Halliday. You know, Doc was a huge fan favorite, not only here in Philly and Toronto, as we've mentioned earlier in you know, where he played, but all over the baseball world. And one of his very last autograph signings in town, he was at Popple Sports in a Montgomery Mall. And we wanted to bring out Adam Popple to the show uh, to get his perception of Roy Doc Holliday and, and how he was to work with and how he was with the fans. So, Adam, welcome to the show for the first time. Oh, thank you very much. We're actually in Plymouth Meeting Mall now. Plymouth Meeting, uh, okay. Yes, yes. yes. Very good. Hey, Adam, this is Chet. And over the last 24-plus hours since getting the unfortunate news, we've heard dozens, heck, hundreds of people talk about having met Roy Halliday either down in Clearwater or at autograph signings like yours with him last April. And every single person mentioned that this fierce competitor who always looked so angry on the mound was the total opposite away from the ballpark, friendly, down-to-earth, humble, etc. Is that what you observed? Absolutely. This guy was unbelievable. I mean, I've probably worked with thousands of autograph signers we've been in business for 25 years and you know he was top five as far as how he was to the people he shook everybody's hand he said hello thanks for coming i mean this guy did not need to do the autograph signing i mean he was living in florida we flew him in in and out the same day you know he has a couple children and a and a wife at home but he came here because he loved philadelphia and loved talking to the fans and he was just such a pleasure to deal with that's cool. And, and you know, when you, when he came up, was he uh, – you mentioned talking to the fans. You know, I've been to a lot of signings where guys will sit there and they'll do their business, but it's certainly business, uh, and not necessarily interact a lot with the fans. Not, not him, huh? Not him. He was, he was, you know, as genuine as you can get. He was very appreciative for people coming. He made sure to talk to people. I remember there was one instance where there was a, a family with a little little baby, and he got right up and took a picture with them. I mean, he is just not – you know, I deal with a lot of athletes, and most athletes are very nice, but he was just extra special. Yeah, and, Adam, we've heard lots of stories in listening to the radio over the last 24 hours about how nice he was when people did meet him in public at, you know, signings or at other events. And they talked about he was, you know, a bit of a jokester sometimes, or he'd come up from behind and, you know, just, you know, tap you on the shoulder. We saw some of the pictures. He took, like, a selfie with a guy wearing a Halliday jersey at an amusement park. He thought that was kind of funny. He loved to he loved to go on social media and take pictures with, you know, Little League players, Teen, teen League uh, players, um, just like a real personable guy and a guy who loved being around kids who were learning to play baseball. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's really interesting, too, because, you know, I do a lot of signings, and there might be 100 or 200 people there, and it's pretty laid back, and, you know, players can sit there and, and talk for a long period of time. This signing was sold out. He had close to 600 people in line. And every fan he was very personal with, even if his hand was tired, he took his time with every autograph. You know, there's a lot of these players that, you know, unfortunately have very sloppy autographs. Not him. He really (laughs) took his time and gave everybody a great autograph. And he was good from person number one to person number 600. He was just a very special guy, and I'm, I'm just really sorry to see what happened with him. 
Now, Adam, when uh, when he played, when he was in town, did he do a lot of uh, autograph signings then, or was he mainly after he retired? He did. I believe he did one signing. It wasn't through us, but he was very picky in the signings he did, and I think it was during the off season. He was very focused. You know, all the stories you hear about him, he was very focused on pitching, making sure that he was the ultimate professional. And I think, and there are players like him that, you know, want to focus on baseball or focus on their sport, and then in the off season they'll do a signing, or when they're retired they'll do more signings. And even when he's retired, he's only done, you know, two in the last few years. So he's just um, one of these guys that wanted to, you know, tend to his craft, and then he'll do a signing in the off season for the most part. In terms of watching him play, Adam, any special memories or, you know, favorite games? Well, it's funny. The one that really sticks out to me is, is, is interesting, to say the least. It's, it's, it's for a different reason, though. So the, the uh, perfect game when he pitched against Miami or Florida, and they now call him in 2009, my wife was actually in the hospital. She had, the, she had complications with her gallbladder. And I was in the emergency room with her. Now, she, she was okay, but we were there, and I was actually watching the game on this little tiny TV in the emergency room. And it was also the same time that the Flyers were in the Stanley Cup Finals against the Blackhawks. So I was kind of yeah, May 2010, May 2010. Yeah, 2010. Right. I'm sorry, 2010. And it just the memory comes to me because you know, basically this happened to my wife, and we were kind of sad with what was going on with my wife. She turned out to be okay, but then Roy Halladay throws this perfect game on the same night. That was one memory. The other memory is when I had my signing. Um, my son, who's now 13 months old, he was seven months at that time. And I was happy that I was able to get a picture with myself, Roy Holiday, and my son, and also my wife, Roy Holiday, and my son. Not that I ever thought that was going to be the last time I was going to see him, but unfortunately, it was the last time I was going to see him. Yeah, wow. Boy, and, and uh, Chet mentioned in the opening, uh, you know, we've lost Dallas Green, Jim Bunning, Darren Dalton, and now Roy Holiday all in uh, – 2017, it hasn't been a pleasant year for the, the Philly Nation. Yeah, and especially the fact, I mean, you know, Dallas Green was close to 80 years old. You, you never want to see that happen. But Roy Holiday and Darren Dalton were taken away so young. I mean, Roy Holiday was 40 years old. He had two kids and a wife, and he was taken away from us. Darren Dalton, you know, cancer got to him. He was in his 50s. You know, it's, it, it seems like, you know, it's just so sad. It's sad enough seeing someone pass away that was an icon, but when they're so young and they're taken away, it's, it's just even more sad. It sure is. Well, hey, Adam, uh, before we close out, you've got a lot going on at the store uh, coming up. Do you want to give a little detail, quick rundown on that? Sure, yeah. We, so we have a signing this Friday with Travis Connecting with the Flyers. Um, we also have a signing on Thursday next week with Jeremy Roenick from the Flyers. And in December, we have Sean Couturier from the Flyers. It's a Flyers team going on here. And then in yep. uh, January, we have the three captains, Mike Richards, Mel Bridgman, and Eric Desjardins. And you can get all the information on popple.com, P-O-P-P-E-L.com. Are, uh, are the captains all going to be there together or three separate signings? No, they're all there together. I'm trying to do like a whole captain signing. Now, they might be oh. overlapped in time. I haven't gotten the official time right. yet, but they're all there on the same day. Oh, Interesting. Very good. Nice. All right. Well, Adam, thanks for stopping by. Uh, first time with us, and we're, we're glad to have you. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks you got Adam. it. Okay. Bye. There it is. T 
Jed, it's time to welcome our fantasy football guru, Fred Hugo, back to the show. Fred, welcome back. Oh, hang on. we got to press a button so Fred can actually talk. There you are. Hey, Fred. You can you hear me? Yeah, the guy on the switchboard is a little slow tonight. (laughs) All right, good. Thanks for the uh, Fred Barnett shout-out. I appreciate that. I love him, man. There you go. Well, hey, Fred, let's get right to it. We got a lot to cover. Who's in, who's out this week of fantasy football? And uh, tell us about Jay Ajayi. Well, he was a a fantasy uh, stud last week. He only had about eight carries. He broke one for a touchdown there. That's a huge, huge pickup in leagues. You still don't know how they're going to do it, the way they split it up. It looks like the Eagles will probably – I hope they do the three-headed monster. I've been praying for a three-headed monster for I don't even since Westbrook, Deuce, and Buckhalter. So hopefully they run it that way. But as far as fantasy owners go, uh, Ajayi, you, you hold on to him and, and probably start him and play him, but you still don't know what his uh, role is going to be. Um, but as far as the uh, the week goes, um, I know we're short on time here, so I'm just going to keep as quickly as possible. So if um, – Basically, if, if you have a Pittsburgh Steeler, I would start them this week. If it's whether that's Roethlisberger, Bell, Brown, the Steelers D, start them against the Colts. That, that's one thing I wanted to say. And then at, at the quarterback position, I'm going to go ahead and start Josh McCown of the Jets against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He has a great matchup there. Uh, the quarterback I will sit this week is Jay Cutler. He had a great week last week. Don't be uh, confused or or, uh, or tricked by that. Not confused. Don't be tricked by that. Sit him against the Carolina Panthers. Um, the running back I would start is Alvin Kamara of the New Orleans Saints. He's having a great year. He's averaging. I have him in my own league, and he, he's getting me in my PPR league at least 15 points a game, if not more. The, he's matching up against the Bills. They give up a, a ton of yards to the running backs or points to the running backs. Uh, the running back I would sit, who had two touchdowns last week, is Washington Redskins running back Fat Rob Kelly. He had two touchdowns, but he also had 18 yards rushing. Don't don't uh, don't start him. Don't buy into that one. The wide receiver I would start is out of Temple University, Robbie Anderson. He's had a uh, a great last three weeks, and and he he's looking pretty good. I, I'm buying into him. I would go ahead and start Robbie Anderson, especially against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The wide receiver um, I would sit is Jordy Nelson. He's he's a top top first or second round pick this year. Without uh, Rodgers there, he's just not panning out. Sit uh, Jordy Nelson. Tight end I would start is uh, Kyle Rudolph. He's been very consistent all year. He's facing the Redskins, and that's a good matchup for him. I would go ahead and sit Jason Witten against the Atlantic Falcons. Um, that's not a great matchup for him. The defense I would start is the Rams defense against the Texans. I, I tried. I should, I should have known being a Bonner guy, starting an O'Hare guy last week uh, on my own team. But Tom Savage stinks. Sit him. Start or don't start the Rams uh, D. The Bills defense. I would sit them against the Saints. Breeze will probably put up numbers against them. And then as far as the kickers go, I would go ahead and start Guskowski against the Broncos and uh, sit Kyle Forbath against the Washington Redskins. So. Nice. That's my uh, start one, sit one for this week. Oh, and real quick, just so you know, for the uh, once again, Sam Bradford is out for the year. <laughs> He's the king. <laughs> He's stolen yeah. so much money. Went on IR again today. <laughs> so, hey, speaking hilarious. of which, do you think we're going to see Teddy Bridgewater at some point now that he's back active? They, yeah, they activate him. You'll probably see him in, I would think, maybe two to three weeks. They probably got to give him some time to get acclimated. Um, 
but yeah, I would, I would see, I, I would pick him up and just sit him on your bench. If you don't have a quarterback, just to see how it goes with him. He wasn't that great, though, to begin with, so he might not be, uh, as far as fantasy goes, points-wise. So, But I, I expect uh, okay. him to play by, by the end of the year. All right. Fantastic. Well, hey, Fred, um, let's see. Before we get to our picks for the week, Chad, how did we do? I was really surprised the Redskins went out to Seattle and won and actually came back at the end to win that game when it looked like it was wrapped. Yeah, that was a crazy finish. The Redskins did nothing all day, and then they had the, you know good drive in the last two minutes to pull it out. Uh, unlike the Eagles, we were all pretty mediocre last weekend. We got that Redskins game wrong, and we all picked the Chiefs to beat the stinking Cowboys too, but it didn't happen. So we all went 2-2. Two and two. That means Bill remains atop our standings at 21-7. and seven. Fred is 18-10, and 10, three games back. And I'm four games off the pace at 17-11. and 11. Still plenty of time. Well, hey, let's get to our picks for the week. Uh, Fred, you're going to be up first. We have Minnesota at Washington, the Vikings minus one. As you mentioned, Sam Bradford is no more. Um, who do you like in that game? You know, the Redskins are doing to me what they did to you last year, you know. So, whatever I pick them, they're going to do the opposite. So, would you say, who's favored by one, the Redskins? Vikings minus one. Vikings minus one. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna take the Redskins for the fact that they're just. They're, they're, it's gonna be the opposite of what I think. I think Vikings, but I'm gonna go Redskins. <laughs> yeah, Vikings Redskins is one of the toughest games in all of Week Ten, as far as I see. This is more hunched than anything else, but I'm gonna say Vikings on the road. Yeah, I agree with you uh, because I can't figure out the Vikings, and I actually I can't figure out the Redskins. I, I'm going to go Washington at home uh, for the only reason is because they're at home. I have no reason otherwise. So I'm going to go with Redskins. Good. All right. Good. Giants are at San Francisco. Giants minus two and a half. The San Francisco Giants will get their first win of the year. 49ers. How about the 49ers? Oh, yeah, the San Francisco Giants. What are we, in baseball? The San Francisco 49ers go. will get their first win of the year. Yeah, I agree. What the hell? You know, one win between these two teams. Everybody's excited about this game, that's for sure. Uh, one win between the two teams. What the heck? I'm going to go with Fred and say 49ers get that first win. And you know what? It's funny that you guys both said that because that's exactly how I was going because the Giants still stink. <laughs> I can't all pick right. them. I'm going G-Men, or 49ers in that game. We all got goes, okay. uh, Dallas goes to Atlanta. Atlanta minus three in that. That surprises me a little bit. Yeah, that is odd. Yeah, we got we kind of got messed up on our picks. We didn't think Zeke was playing last week, and then we don't we still don't know again this week. I'm going to go ahead. Tough one. Their defense, oh man, but I don't like the Falcons' offensive coordinator. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the Falcons. I'm going to say the Falcons win 27-20. Wow, Cowboys are playing better than Atlanta right now. So with or without Zeke, I think the stinking Cowboys win this one. But I won't be overly upset if I'm wrong and it goes the other way. Dallas is my pick, though. Yeah, I'm going to go Dallas too. I I think. I I can't ever get Atlanta right. They're so up and down for me. I can't figure it out. And Matt Ryan comes out one week and throws for 400 yards and then throws for 220 and they lose. I'm going to go Dallas. Um, and hopefully Elliott doesn't play, but we'll see. And, hey, as a All bonus right. pick, I think – as a bonus pick, guys, I think the Eagles are going to slay their bye week. 
Yes. Well, I think the the big thing is Carson Wentz is probably going to slay something while he's out hunting. Oh, yeah. You know that. All right. Well, hey, uh, Fred, we only have about 30 seconds left, but quickly, what was the outfit you had on Sunday at the Birds game all about? <laughs> uh, the picture, it was kind of an, an illusion there. It was a blackout. It, it looked like I had a skirt on, but I didn't. I just had um, – well, actually, it was, I had the T.O. tights, I guess you would say, with black shorts over it. And then I had like a, a helmet, and then I just just wore all black for the blackout. But half the stadium didn't seem to realize it was a blackout, so I could have probably wore regular stuff. Oh well. It did look like a skirt, Fred. Just saying, it did look like a skirt. <laughs> I would wear a skirt, so don't put it past me. <laughs> okay. It, it absolutely. It absolutely did. Well, hey, Fred, we appreciate it. Uh, we'll get back to it next week. All right. See you next week. Have a good one, guys. Okay. Hey, Chet, uh, before we get – I got a couple random thoughts for you. But before we get to that, do you have – were you able to get a couple of those Roy Holiday cuts? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And we got to get at least one or two of them on here. So why not? Roy Holiday, who we lost yesterday, had just two great seasons with the Phillies when he first arrived in 2010, winning the Cy Young that first year, a 21-game winner. And very early on in the season, as Adam Popple mentioned, he threw a perfect game. And as uh, Adam mentioned, it was the night that the Flyers were playing a Stanley Cup Finals game against Chicago. But we quickly switched over when we found out what Halliday was doing down in Miami. And here's how that one ended. The 1-2 pitch. Hit toward third. Castro has it. Spins. Fires. A perfect game! That was pretty awesome. Great moment for sure. Hey, uh, Chad, I wanted to tell you, I just got an email while we've been on the show from Jerry Nalen. You know, remember Jerry? I uh, haven't yeah. heard from him for a while, but Jerry's up in that Boston area. And uh, he just sent me an email about an article that was put out in the New York Post that Philadelphia fans are not going to like. And a Boston Uh-oh. radio guy uh, mocking Roy Halladay. And that he got what he deserved, and it's quite a dissertation that is not going to be taken well by anybody. Actually, are you kidding? Uh, no, it's uh, it's ugly. I'm not even going to repeat the stuff he says, but he basically makes fun of him, and uh, he got what he deserved. Pretty pretty sad. I'm sure we're going to wow. see that in the Philly paper. Just uh, it's in the New York Post, but it's a Boston radio guy who made the comments. Oh, wow. man. That's that's pretty ugly. Well, let's get back to the good stuff. One other Ray, Roy Holiday cut. This is from his first ever postseason game, believe it or not, 2010 with the Phillies against Cincinnati. And you know how it ended. Holiday is one strike away. The 0-2. A bouncer. Ruiz. In time! Roy Holiday has thrown a no-hitter! And I'll tell you, that was a hell of a play by Chooch to end that one. That was not an easy play. Yeah, it was not an easy play. He had to throw from his knees, and he had to not hit the runner. And that was was a good play, for sure. Yeah, and plus the bat was right there where the ball was, so he had to be careful not to trip over the bat. Yes, yes, absolutely. Great memories from the Doc, 
certainly. Yep. Hey, Chad, on one other note, we get away from uh, from Doc. I want to throw out something else. I got an email, another email from a guy that I work with that absolutely uh, lives in North Dakota and is a big Carson uh, Wentz fan. And he tells me that uh, the Dutch Destroyer family, the Custers, have been invited to North Dakota State University uh, for the game this weekend. And there's a big thing going on. Of course, that's Carson's family that he's kind of adopted or helping. And uh, I guess Carson's probably going to be at the game, although that hasn't been uh, announced. But the Custers will be seeing the bison at North Dakota State, courtesy of Heartland Chevy dealers in the tri-state area. Well, as we know from Randy Hedberg, Carson Wentz did go down uh, to the North Dakota State game during the bye week last year, so maybe he'll do the same thing again this year. That's right. All right, hey, Chet, I got one more batch of questions for you. We're going to do something a little different. This is just random thoughts from you tonight, and I bet 20, 30-second answers for you. You ready for this? Shoot. All right, Sixers Joel Embiid shut down for a rest night per doctor's orders. Look, who the hell knows what's going on with Joel Embiid and the Sixers? He wants to play, but they thought he needed a night off for load management purposes. I don't get it. They had been off since Friday, so why the heck couldn't he play on a Tuesday night? He better be in the lineup Thursday night, I'll tell you that. And he's supposed to be, although I heard he didn't practice today, Wednesday, for some reason. So I don't know. It's crazy. Get the guy on the court. He looks fine. Let him play. Hope he's not hurt. Freddie Galvis loses the gold glove to Brandon Crawford after leading the the National League in just about every defensive category. Yeah, I think this is two years in a row now. Galvis got robbed. I mean, not that I watched Brandon Crawford much during the season, but we know how good Galvis was in the field, and he's just great out there at shortstop, and I would have really hoped to see him win the gold glove this year, but it didn't happen, so what are you going to do? Jay Ajayi. Certainly looking like a nice pickup opening week for Jay Ajayi. I like saying that, by the way. Eight carries. What did he have? Seventy-some yards. A long touchdown run. Looked like he fit in. And as Adam, or no, I guess it was uh, Fred Barnett mentioned, um, it's going to be interesting to see how things play out with the workload now because they have all these backs. Corey Clement looked great. Uh, Smallwood even had a nice run, although I think he's out of the picture. Garrett Blunt still the go-to guy uh, in a lot of people's minds. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they use Jay Ajayi and Blunt over the remaining seven games. Hey, Chet, where was Ron Miller on Sunday? Uh, For the most part, he was jumping off sides, and he was fooled by the cadence of Carson Wentz. Um, He made a play or two, but otherwise he was certainly neutralized at best and uh, not a big factor Eagles blew out the Broncos and all that Von Miller talk being so scary didn't happen on Sunday. One final thought, Penn State football after two straight road losses. Uh, You had to go there. You had to go there. Heartbreaking loss for the second week in a row. Uh, Some of the blame lies with Franklin, but I'll tell you, Barkley did not have his best game either. And so much for that Heisman lock talk. Uh, He's now just one of, you know, three or four candidates for the Heisman. Not a couple of finishes that we'd like to remember as far as Penn State goes the last two weekends. For sure. Good stuff. Hey, uh, Chet, more great guests tonight. Who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week? And you don't know, so this will be a surprise for you. We actually have two guests on the show. Yep, two guests. In addition to our regular visit from Fred Hugo, we've got from the Philadelphia Daily News and a new weekly podcast he's doing with Kevin Cooney, 
The Colonel, the legendary Mike Kern, will be back again. In addition, and you got to trust me on this one, Bill, you will enjoy it. I'm going to have a chat with one of the cast of characters from WMMR's Preston and Steve show, Nick McElwain. Nick McElwain is a huge sports fan, and he will also tell us about a couple of major annual WMMR events that are coming up real soon. All right. I'll trust you on Nick, and uh, I know the Colonel will be good. Yep. Very good. Well, Chad, parting shot for you tonight? Yeah, Bill. Uh, in the 27 hours between the news of Roy Halladay's tragic death and us doing our show this evening, I've listened to a lot of sports talk radio, read a whole bunch of articles about Doc, you know, watched Philly sports talk on what used to be Comcast Sportsnet the last two evenings, and I was blown away by the outpouring of admiration for this pitcher who really spent only three and a half seasons pitching for the Phillies. The common themes in all of the recollections about Roy Halladay were these, focused, fierce competitor, great teammate, and then away from the field, down-to-earth, humble, and classy. Just a few tweets or comments you may have missed. Ryan Howard, we lost a great ball player, but an even better human being. Tampa Bay Rays manager Kevin Cash, a former teammate of Halladay's in Toronto. Players often get lumped into the click of either being a great competitor or the strongest worker, but Roy was at the top of the list for both. And I love this one, and this is the one you referred to earlier, Bill. It was actually from Dodgers pitcher Brandon McCarthy. He said, Roy Halladay was your favorite player's favorite player. Although I never met Roy Halladay, I was deeply saddened by the news of his passing, especially knowing that he left behind a wife and two sons who will never see their husband and father again. Yeah, he died while doing something he loved in recent years, flying, but that doesn't make his departure any easier to take for the rest of us. Rest in peace, Roy Halladay. All right, and my parting shot for the week. The Eagles entered the bye week with an 8-1 record. That's right, 8-1, 6-0 in conference games. They have the leading candidate for MVP in Carson Wentz and a leading candidate for Defensive Player of the Year in Fletcher Cox, the leading candidate for Coach of the Year in Doug Peterson, and they just got better by adding Jay Ajayi. We all know there's a long way to go, but you can't help but be excited about watching the birds dismantle the Broncos' number one defense in the NFL while hanging 51 points on them. Joe Paterno used to always say, you're never as good as you think you are when you win, and you're never as bad as you think you are when you lose. I hope Joe was wrong, and the Eagles continued to be this good. The NFL has certainly taken notice. The expectations are now high, with even whispers of those two dreadful words, Super Bowl, flowing freely. I'd prefer to take it one game at a time. And next up is the Dallas Cowboys, and I can't wait. I am with you there, Bill. November 19th can't get here soon enough. We have reached the top of the hour, so we would like to thank our special guests, Fred Barnett, Leslie Goodell, Adam Popple, Fred Hugo, the Irish Rover Station House, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. For Bill Furman, this is Jim Cheska. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday. That's November 15th, 7 p.m., when Mike Kern and WMMR's Nick McElwain join us. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Mixcloud, too. Take it easy. Enjoy the rest of your night. And we'll be back here next week. Go Birds!